please pronounce your name correctly for me? Carl Olson. Now, where do you where were you born and raised? I was born in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Army brat. My dad was in the military back. I almost gave Which away branch? my age. He was in the hundred and first. He was a paratrooper. And uh interestingly enough, he left as a conscientious objector and we moved here to Georgia, where he was originally from. And I've been in Georgia since I was about four years old. And uh I, I've actually lived in the same place all my life. I never intended that. I always had an interest in travel. I uh, always thought I would move someplace else. And somehow or another, I ended up staying in not only my hometown, <laughs> you know, the home county of, of Georgia, but I've done a lot of travel. And so I guess that helped control the the wanderlust that I had for as a kid wanting to travel. So how did you come to, so you, I, I read on your website and you just said that you worked in software and, and web design and things like this. So what sort of sparked your creativity when you were younger? Were there's a, your parents, your family, a, a family friend, a teacher, like how did you even get into the creative fields? I always liked to invent things. My, me and my buddies, when we were in elementary school, we were always, uh, concocting these things. We were the, we were nerds and geeks before being a nerd and geek was fashionable, you know, so drawing was a huge part of that. And uh, so we were always drawing and that I think sparked an interest in the visual arts, though, you know, that wasn't really what was on my mind. What was on my mind is I wanted to create these amazing machines, you know, airplanes, rockets, and and things like that. So drawing was the me means to the end to get to the rocket. <laughs> you know, you drew it and mm -hmm. then you made the model and 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 went from there. So that's I guess that was the genesis of it. Was was that? Yeah, yeah. I, I took art architecture yeah. classes when I was young to do sort of build construct things that I could never actually build in reality. Yeah, well, that's. But you know, back when I was in school, we did not have a lot of the technology that we have. I remember. My first exposure to a computer was in um, high school, and it was a teletype machine that was remotely connected to a huge IBM mainframe, and you typed in uh, your commands. <laughs> That's what we had. You, you are showing your <laughs> yeah. age, yes. Now you're showing your age. <laughs> but it was an exciting time because this was the time when the space age was uh, I, I'm basically a Sputnik baby. So uh, the space age was coming uh, to the fore in the sixties. And, uh, that was when there was a lot of innovation tech technologically, uh, where there was the mineralization of electronics, uh, a lot of ingenuity in the space program. All of those things fascinated me as a, as a young child. And when I saw that teletype machine in high school, I knew that at that time it would be a good idea if I took a typing class. Now, that was brilliant on two courses. One was I was the only guy in the typing class. <laughs> Me too. I remember taking a typing class and being well, the only guy. Well, there you go. Good for you, man. Mm -hmm. And and the second thing is I, I picked up, I learned how to type. Yeah, and that has served me in writing, programming, uh, creating show notes today for podcasts and uh, video scripts and that sort of thing. So I am so happy of all the classes I could have taken. And it has nothing to do with visual arts other than it was writing. Uh, 
uh, typing, but I'm glad I took that class. And there was one other class I took that was, uh, I took a year of drafting, which they don't teach in schools anymore, as far as I know, at least not here in, in the South where I live. Uh, what a wonderful. No, it's more AutoCAD yeah, and that yeah. kind of stuff. No, this was, this was graphite to develop. I mean, it was, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. And that was one of the few classes I actually did well in high school. So I graduated. I remember going out with my, yeah, I remember going out with my parents and buying, trying to track down like vellum yeah. <laughs> and trying these kinds of materials. Like we, there, it's funny, interesting how there's, there was a time when those, those material qualities were very important in the, in the craftsmanship and the, the execution of creating exactly. something that seems like is a lesser these days, let's yeah. say. Uh, and, and it, it's, and I admit, I, I, I kind of, I strayed from the path as well. I, because I did, I, I was interested in technology. I loved computers and uh, electronics and things like that. I went to school to study aviation electronics, never used it, but I was again exposed to computers. And, and so I went in that direction, but I still had that, you know, there was this, uh, nascent, uh, nascent, um, <laughs> latent, <laughs> uh, desire to create things. And oddly enough, writing software was an act of creation. Creating, uh, human interaction was an act Absolutely. of creation. And I, I, and as I got into software, I formed my own IT company back in 1985 and I was basically had my own software company for, since 85 or recently retired about two years ago, my business, most of it anyway. And I, I, it always fascinated me that most software people viewed, used terms like architecture for software development. And me, I viewed it as sculpture. You were sculpting code because it was very fluid and um, no one ever saw what was going on behind it. But what you would end up with is this interaction with people, uh, the machine with people and uh, the architecture thing, it, it, you know, it, it was okay. I, I get it where they were coming from, but I realized that uh, it was more of an art and the methodologies that were used today in creating software are less emphasis on the, engineering. I mean, they're still called software engineers, but they're really artists in my opinion. They're, they're artists, they're crafting code and things like that. But I have to tell you over the years, I became dissatisfied with software simply because it is this intangible. It's ephemeral. It's uh, there's nothing there left. Uh, once you go ahead. Well, not only that, but there's, you're also sort of chasing a dragon oh, yeah. because the technology is constantly changing and constantly evolving and, and interest by the public is constantly changing. So you're having to either adapt your existing software or build brand new software to keep up with trends and, and changes in technology and all this. I mean, that, that's gotta be a, a draining sort of like thing that like you 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 try to make something and as soon as you make it almost it's outdated by the time it's done yeah exactly i it's and there's nothing to show for it i shouldn't say well there really isn't much to show for it i mean when i would go with my dad and we would drive downtown atlanta he was a sheet metal worker okay when he left the military he became a sheet metal worker 
And on the side, he became a flight instructor. Okay. <laughs> but, but I could drive downtown and dad will say, now you see that building right there. Uh, he's pointing at a 40 story building with all these gargoyles hanging off of it. He says, me and my buddy put those up there. And then he goes someplace. Oh yeah. You see those big old brass doors there, those polished. I, I put those in, you know, and he can do that to this day. Those things are still there to this day. And that got me thinking, you know, my dad was a sheet metal worker and I admit as a teenager and, and, and in my twenties, I, I didn't have a proper regard for craftsmen. Uh, which I deeply, deeply regret because craftsmen are really the the, the lifeblood <laughs> of people today. And he has something to show. And that's why I started more and more. I, I guess this was back in the 90s. I really started to take an interest in, you know, uh, art that you could touch that had a connection, a physical connection with the artist in some way. All right. So let's get to your arts then. So so you you've done both you do, you've been a photographer and right. a painter mm-hmm. is that correct okay so w- when you started off you said okay i'm going to do this and w- what did you do how did you sort of evolve into it and and what what has it ended up becoming over the decades of doing it well the way i i would always try to find a way to take a boring job and turn it interesting you know, so, yep. I, you know, I'd get, you know, a client would hire me to write a database application. And, but I was always listening to their team at their team meetings, what their problems were. And one, there was a paper company I was working for. They wanted to demonstrate uh, the various properties of the paper products that they sold. Bingo. I think, okay, I can show them something visual here. I can take photos. I can do a video. I can do uh, I can create a, back then they called it a multimedia presentation. <laughs> so, so Absolutely. that's, yes. that's how I, I started specializing in producing those kind of content. This was back in the early nineties when it was just really ancient and, uh, it was very difficult. You were running on limited hardware, but I did everything I could. And I was able, able to use my camera and, and uh, do physical things to integrate it with the digital that we were doing. So a lot of that would become a basis of the work. My uh, breakthrough, I think, moment was when a friend of mine uh, is a musician. He used to play with Frank Zappa. He uh, played, he was one of the co-founders of uh, the one-hit wonder band, (laughs) Missing Persons, back in the 80s. And then he went on a solo mm-hmm. career with uh, Peter Bauman of Tangerine Dream, invited him to uh, his new label, which was called Private Music at the time. But then um, things started changed. The internet happened, and um, Patrick decided to create his own record label. Now, this is in the early 90s. And he says, Carl, do you want to help me do this? <laughs> Can you do this? I said, sure. Do you? He didn't ask me if I knew how to do it. He just asked me, can you do this? I, and I always use that question. You know, I'd listen carefully to the question. I don't want to deceive anybody, but you know, if they asked me, can you do it? I almost always said, yes, I would figure it out. Mm -hmm. Rarely did they ask me if I knew how to do it. And I, I felt that was my job was to figure out how to do things. And so I was invited to do art direction for his new record label. So this is the first time I'd ever done pre-press. I'd uh, uh, done graphic design. And uh, I got really excited about doing the uh, album cover of his first release on that. 
And that was the first time I'd ever set foot in art galleries. I figured, well, I'm going to go look in an art gallery. You know, I would travel out West with my family and, and I'd never set foot in an art gallery and I'd go in. And this is the first time I'd really paid attention to painting, uh, contemporary painting. Uh, there was a contemporary artist by the name of John Nito. He was, um, part, um, Apache, uh, native American, uh, uh, a contemporary, uh, Bovist uh, painter, very colorful uh, portraits of Native Americans and and uh, American West uh, wildlife, and I loved it. And I thought this is what I would love to use for the album cover. Didn't do it. It really didn't fit the theme of the music. But that's when I started looking in art galleries, and I thought this is amazing. I love this stuff to see the paint, to see the brush strokes, to see it up close. Uh, I had never done that. I've been to museums, but you know, I didn't have, regretfully, I didn't have the interest at that time. So I didn't closely examine, but now I had a purpose. I was trying to do this job. And then it, it, it lit this fire inside me in the early nineties. And I just, I said, I want to become a painter. I want to do this. <laughs> so, so, um, it worked out. I, that's when my interest started. Uh, in creating paintings, paintings, uh, 2D works of art on canvas or panel and, and paint, acrylics, oils, whatever. It was the first time I really had a passion for these things. And then I would start creating things on watercolor paper. And sometimes I would, I, I started figuring out, okay, how can I transfer my photos to watercolor paper? These, th it was just an exciting time. The nineties was a very exciting time because you had the internet explosion. You had web design hit the market for the first time. Inkjet printing. Inkjet printing. I took a class, a one-on-one -on -one class with Graham Nash of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. <laughs> Iris printer. Of N Nash Publishing? Yes. <laughs> Nash Editions. Man, yeah. that yeah. was incredible. This was in right about 2000, I guess. It was here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. He came to Atlanta and there was only two or three people in the class. And so I got to I spent a whole day with Graham Nash, of all people. And so I really got interested in the physical art, transferring digital art to physical art. Uh, but I still wanted to paint. Paint was really what I wanted to do. But my business was still going full bore at that time. So it was really hard to find the time to actually do paintings uh, like I'd like. I'd, do, I'd dabble here and dabble there. And, and that was that. But I was still trying to in incorporate creating content for my clients. And so then, then you went on and you started actually producing your own works. And then you even went on and made a podcast about this yeah. as well, which is how I ended up finding out about you at all. So are you a practice? So, I mean, it sounds like you're retired from software. Yep. You're a practicing photographer slash painter and podcaster. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's, that's life my now. life right now. My, so about two years ago, well, probably about three years ago now, I was at total burnout with uh, IT, writing software and having people work for me. And that's sort where of, I just, I love the people that work for me, but I just, I didn't want to manage it anymore. It just what I just didn't, I wanted just to be me, <laughs> you know, and go do what I wanted to do and not have to answer to anybody uh, to a reasonable degree. And, and uh, my wife just one day, she says, why don't you just close it up? Just do this. I'll support you. Just Go paint. Oh, I love her dearly. I've been married to her for 40 years. 
<laughs> this is um, why I love her. <laughs> I look forward to when well, I look forward to when my wife comes to the Well, <laughs> it'll come. It'll come. <laughs> I hope. So now do you exhibit? Are you are you represented? Like so what how are you I guess the question is sort of like how are you getting yourself out as a professional artist to the world? So I consider myself a beginner. So I, this is this is the process. I the first thing I did uh, about two years ago, I took my first workshop about two and a half years ago. I figured if I'm going to really master painting, I want to learn from the best. Now it was probably it's a good well, philosophy. Yeah, there's also an element of naivety there because I didn't really understand how workshops worked. <laughs> I just figured, okay, I'm going to go sign up for this workshop and go take it, and I'm going to have the fundamentals, right? <laughs> so, well, I, I've only attended, I think, one, maybe two workshops my entire life, and they were actually both through my oh, schools wow. that I attended. So, uh, tell me your experiences with workshops. It was it was an eye opener. I learned a lot from the artists that I took. Uh, the first workshop I took is from a landscape painter named Matt Smith. He's uh, he's a lot of people like to collect his work, and for good reason. It's it's beautiful uh, uh, Southwest uh, motifs. Uh, it's representational, impressionistic, and it's just beautiful. And I liked I liked the way he painted. So I thought, well, okay, he seems to know how to do this, and he's done it for thirty something years. I, you, you know. I might learn something here. And so I did go to the, to the workshop. We took our equipment. It was a class classroom setting. And I want to mention too, I want to give credit to, to how this happened as well. It was here in Georgia of all things, we have a Western art museum, the booth. I would not never have said that. But okay. I wouldn't have either. I, <laughs> who would have thought, that in Georgia, there's a museum like the Autry or something like that out west. But it's here in Cartersville, Georgia. It's about 35 miles from where I live. And it's going toward the mountains. And it's, it's a beautiful country. It's a beautiful little town. And uh, there's this amazing museum. The biggest art museum in Georgia is the High Museum. But it focuses, it, it has nice representational art in its permanent collections. And from time to time, they'll do uh, exhibits like the Impressionist and things like that. But a lot of it is contemporary art, which has a lot of interaction. The public likes that. Uh, it's not the kind of art I want to create. I have an appreciation for it, but it's not what I wanted to create. So the Booth Museum, I gravitated toward because they had both contemporary and as well as uh, uh, artwork from, from artists that are no longer around. It's just an incredibly fine collection and it includes a lot of the eclectic uh, contemporary art that that's being done by today's uh, uh, artists. I just, I just love it. It's, it's a place of inspiration, but they run a, a place called it's right next to the museum. It's called the Booth uh, Art Academy and they run. Oh, yeah. And okay. they run very reasonably priced workshops in that academy. So it's a nice classroom setting. And then of course there's places that you can go and, and paint outside. So that's, I want to give credit to the Booth Museum because they've done a fantastic job of setting up these classes for art and all different mediums and, and a lot of different styles. It's just a, it's just an incredible place to learn. They also arrange um, uh, demos with artists like Scott Christensen, Guang Ho, 
and uh, many others. It's just been a fantastic experience. So that's where I went. I figured, well, that's that's the place to go to learn. So I took a, a workshop from Matt Smith. Um, he laid down the fundamentals, and for the first time, it was it was starting to click in my mind. Okay, this is how I build a painting. I didn't want to paint exactly like Matt. I think that's the downfall of workshops. You know, a lot of there. I did learn in this. There's there's uh, workshop junkies. That's all they ever do. They just go to workshops. I don't want to be that guy. I, I mean, I love the artists, but uh, I did take one more workshop after that. And then I said, that's it. I'm not doing any more. I'll go to demos, but I won't, I won't go to a workshop until I'm ready for the next step because I want to apply what I'm learning. So that's where I started. I started doing the workshops, those two workshops that helped establish. And then what I've done since then, I've, I've said, well, okay, I'm going to try to paint 50 paintings this year. I'm going to try to do a hundred paintings this year because that's how you, you learn how to do it. Well, no, the, the reason why I ask is because like I've had mixed experiences yeah, yeah. with workshops. Like one, one experience I learned a lot, but that's because I was mm -hmm. young and I was highly motivated. And I mean, I was still, I don't know, 27 years old. And I, I went there and I, I literally think I didn't sleep for five oh, days wow. just so I could just be working and working yeah. and working as much as I could with the resources they were offering me. It was at the uh, Aspen school. I can't remember the name of it, but then I did another workshop with a very famous photographer, and it who was um, it? Oh, Jock Sturges. <laughs> I put you um, on the spot. Sorry. It, it, <laughs> oh no, I don't mind. It it, it just uh, my my own arrogance got in my way, and 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 I I want I, I love Jock Sturges. Yeah. I think he's absolutely magnificent photographer. Yeah. Um, and and my own arrogance got in the way, and so like I was unable to connect with him in a way that was sort of uh, productive or helpful in any way because it was just my own issue. It has, it has little to do with him; it had more to do with me. And so this is the this is the dynamics of like I hear stories about people going to workshops, and some people say they're absolutely fabulous; they learned a lot. And then I hear other people saying that they went and it was just completely boring, and it was very fundamental, and it wasn't what they expected. So, like that's why I'm saying, like, so you know, what are your experiences? Yeah. So, I for me, I was a beginner. I felt that the class was appropriate for me. I did, you know, the negative side of it was there were, like I mentioned before, is there are the workshop junkies. There are the junkies in there that. It's it's almost like they're not there to learn; they're there to impress the painter, <laughs> and and they would well, dominate. There is this they, philosophy. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what I was when I went mm -hmm. to mine with Jock. But the the there there is this sort of philosophy that like if you go to a workshop, you try to impress the teacher because then the teacher might then help your career. Yeah, but see, I'm not. I and wasn't I'm paying sure that, that person to do. I was. I was paying the painter for the workshop. I didn't want to hear how impressive this student was. I mean, I. You know, I'm always interested in in learning about new artists. But I went there because I wanted to learn this. I want to learn from this man or this woman, and mm -hmm. I. I don't. I didn't pay the other students for that that experience. So that was an eye. Most students were were good about that, but there there was a few that just they just want to dominate the conversation. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't thrilled about that, but we, you know, overall though, it was still a positive experience because I got out of it, the fundamentals that I felt that I needed to grow. And it wasn't just how to paint, but how the, how the art world works in that realm of uh, representational art, 
um, it there is a, there's a way it works. You know, you just got to learn how. It, the same it was with software. I just had to learn the circles of where you know people were and and things like that. You you just have to learn how that world works a little bit, and then see if you can insinuate yourself into that world uh, ethically and, 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 you know, not without being a jerk about it. So it's, uh, yeah. Right. Which is sort of the, the leading yeah. question that comes out of this is like, so, so now you've learned some skills and, and, and craftsmanship as far as producing works, but then like, how do you, you know, what methodology are you using to get your work that you produce in front of the right collectors, buyers, curators, however, what's the, the thing? Because keep in mind, I'm in Europe now and I was in the Middle East before mm -hmm. I was here and so I haven't even been in the United States in almost a decade and even back then I was I, I didn't know enough like, and and so like you're literally my first U.S. conversation <laughs> I've been talking to nothing but Europeans and, and Brazilians and Saudi Arabians and well this. yeah um, so. well you're in the crucible of art uh, of civilization and art <laughs> I you're in a, in a beautiful place. I feel very yeah. lucky. Yes. Yeah. But uh, as far as my experience, they're, they're far more experienced and more successful people than I, but here's, here's where I am in my journey. Me too. Okay? I'm, I'm in a journey like you, you're, you're trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. And I, one thing I learned in my business, and I never was a great businessman because I didn't like the business side of things so much, but I did like even in business in marketing, there's creativity, you know, so I, I would try to look at it that way. I, I thought, well, the, there's a, there's a saying here in the United States that, that it, it can be taken negatively. In fact, most people do take it negatively. They'll, they'll, they'll see someone have success or get business where they get the job. And then they say, well, it's all in who, you know, and I like to turn that around and say, yeah, it's, it's all in who, you know, we're people, we're social animals. We, people buy from people they like. So if, if, if you're negative all the time, then people don't like you and they're not going to buy from you. They're not going to do business with you unless you have something that they just can't live without. And who wants to live that kind of life? <laughs> I want people to, you know, I want to get along with people and have fun with them. And, you know, I'm not going to please everybody, but you do have to do what you can to connect with people. And so, yeah. So, so the way, you know, I transitioned my business from being pure software to content creation, video production, and all of that uh, was getting the word out. And the way I did that back in, I, I did a shift in 2010. Uh, I started a podcast about photography and filmmaking. I didn't know much about photography and filmmaking, but I figured, wow, this is a great way to to learn, I would invite guests that were experts. Uh, it was like a mini audio workshop, and they were happy to support it. My production values were absolutely horrible. My interview technique was absolutely <laughs> terrible, but I still got good feedback. <laughs> and, and people, yeah, they yeah. loved it. And you know what happened? Yeah, you're you're up to like 250 of those. Yeah, I, I, I haven't done a, a large amount. Yeah, of I those. haven't. I, I probably should start it up again because it still gets, uh, it's getting between 10, 10 and fifteen thousand downloads a month doing nothing. <laughs> so, I think, well, I need to do something with it, but I, I don't have the interest in that right now. 
yeah, you've got to be interested. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing like people ask me, like, why did I make the, the idea of a podcast? And I'm like, because I actually want to know there the you answer go. to the yeah, question. I think that's, I th- like, it's that's noble. It. That's like, a noble reason. And, and people will benefit from what you're doing. But what you're sharing. I know of people that have already yeah. benefited from this podcast oh, wow. because I know of artists that have connected with galleries and curators because of the podcast. So, uh, yeah, it, it actually is working. And I've even gotten some uh, a couple of opportunities of exhibiting from the people that I've met and made contacts with. So, I mean, it does all go back to who you know and being being a not necessarily being like a, a yeah you're not you're not being like a that, but like a schmoozer, being, being you know, a good yeah. person. No, no schmoozing, no. I mean, the thing is, is, like, people keep talking about, like, oh, the art world is all who you know. And that is absolutely true. It, is. it really is. But it, but nobody in the art world, much like nobody in business, wants to feel like they're being used right. or manipulated or anything like that. So, like, as long as you, whatever technique or way that you talk to people or engage with people is sincere and honest people will respond to that exactly and see that's what happened that what that's what happened with the photography podcast i made connections with people so there were things that happened behind the scenes i didn't make any money off that podcast i you know i had sponsorships and things like but you know it was just enough to cover the hosting and and producing the show but the real value you aren't a good business person then, are you? <laughs> you should be able to get that. Come but, on. but I'm what I want is the things that happen behind the scenes. Like you were mentioning, you know, I want to be, I would like to, I like to display. I'd like to work on interesting projects. Uh, you know, one of the things that I do, one of the big connections that I made with the podcast uh, on photography was I talked to this guy. His name is Israel Hyman. And back in the late 2000s, he started selling video courses, how to do video, very basic. And he was one of the first and one of the few resources available on how to do video. See, I got one of those jobs where they said, can you do this? They didn't ask me how. Right. <laughs> do you know how to do it? <laughs> and so I got yep. the job. And the next thing I know is, OK, now I got to figure it out. And I found his course and I took it. And that's why. Uh, a couple of years later, I had him on the show because because he had benefited me in that online education. He was an early pioneer of it. And so I was interested in that. And I had him on the show as a guest and he he turned the cards on me. He he became the interview. He said, Carl, what are you doing right now with video? And I, I told him what I was doing. He says, oh, I got an idea for you. Here's what you ought to do. And, you know, it was a good idea. And I said, Wow, thank you. I'll, I'll do that. I immediately put it into into uh, into uh, practice. I uh, I teamed up on a revenue share project with a uh, local training company. It was a friend of mine, but I just reached out to him and said, "Hey, I got an idea for you <laughs> for you know teaching uh, water damage remediation." And uh, it was, you know, it took a couple of months to buy into it, but he did, and so I did it. At no cost to him. I just did it as a revenue share. I said, if we sell, we'll do it. So I made far more money doing that than having sponsors on my podcast. You know? Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the things that I keep thinking about is like, 
being in the creative fields is often not, it's not the sort of the, the core, the fundamental thing that you do. It's the tertiary yeah. things that come from the people and connections and experiences that you have or, or new technologies that you learn or new opportunities that are sort of given to you. It, it's very rarely do creative people like work in a straight exactly. line. Exactly. I think of the old family circus cartoon by Bill Davis. <laughs> Little Billy is asked to go to uh, the mailbox. And where does he go? He hops and explores all yeah. <laughs> all around the yard and all up in the tree. I remember the yeah. dotted lines that did all that. Yes, That's yes, my life. It. That's my life. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm more of a far side. I, I love far side too. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, that's good. But but see the 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 reason see, it's like hiking through the woods. There's two types of hikers. There's the one that does it for physical exercise, and then there are the explorers. And see, I'm the explorer. When I go hiking, I'm distracted by the butterfly. I'm distracted by the little snail going up the tree. I'm di I'm distracted by the the orange lichen on the bark of a tree. I want to see and explore and see what I can discover. And I think if you have that kind of mindset in your business, even if you're in the most boring, soul sucking job that you could have, find a way to be creative with that, and it may lead in an unexpected direction, even in difficult economic times or even in a pandemic like we're in right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not, I'm trying to stay away from that but topic because it's such an unknown. It is right an now. unknown, but the artists that are making it right now, if you could use that word, making it, uh, are the ones that embraced online training, online websites, online marketing. Those guys are still, they're doing, you know, it's not great, but they're doing okay. You know, there's, they're surviving. They've got, because what are people doing when they're at home? Some want to learn things or they're taking online classes. So those that, that did the online classes, they're able to sell them now. They're able to, and they're seeing an uptick in sales because of that. Who would have ever thought that would happen? Are you, you know, what avenues are you using for getting your artwork out? I mean, you used to build software and web designs and stuff. So are you promoting through the internet? Are you using social medias? Do you have a, you know, a, a really robust website for people to purchase through e-commerce and all this? Like, what are, what are your ways of doing this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a physician heal thyself, right? No, I, oh, yeah. I actually. Yes. The co the cobbler's <laughs> kids with no shoes. Yeah. Right? I can, I can preach it, but I, I don't do it as well as I ought to. I, I, I teach web design also. Yeah. So. Well, right now I'm in a process. I'm using some of this I was supposed to have downtime, but I, I, I want to redo my website. I, I took all my, I did have all my paintings on the website. If you were go to carlson.tv right now, you won't see any of the paintings there right now. I, I thought I saw like three yeah, paintings still life. Yeah. You, you're I not going to find, and they're not, they're not all that good anyway. So I'm in the process of revamping my websites. I've been on Squarespace for quite some time and I've gotten frustrated of late and so I'm looking at different avenues. I was going to say, I, I'm not a fan mm. of Squarespace. Nothing personal. No, I don't think it every time I do a Every time I do a podcast, I end up like offending some potential sponsor. I've made fun of Ikea <laughs> and Squarespace. Good for you. Like every, like, oh, my God. I'm so bad with this. Yeah, anyways, Squarespace will never uh, yeah. sponsor me. <laughs> I, <laughs> they'll never sponsor me. I, I mean, I got I, on their bad side 10 years ago. <laughs> I... I 
I have seen their websites and they are they are aesthetically pleasing and they look like they're easy to use. I do not question the technical savvy that they have behind the website. My personal pet peeve goes back to the idea that they um when you first register with them, you have to register the domain name through them and then they basically own the domain name and you lease it from them. So if you ever want to leave them, you have to get a new domain name. You can't take that. No, same you, name. yeah, it's they they do want you to buy the domain through them because they add a premium to the domain price, but you don't have to do that. All you, to start a yeah, to start a trial, you you just put your name and email in, in. It's it's, but they do they kind of send you down that path. Like they want you to get that domain name. All you got to do is type in the domain name you already have. I would never use their domains. I did experiment with it because I was wondering how it would work and I did not like it. It was expensive. Mm. Um, there's much better name servers out there, uh, than, than Squarespace. And I've been using GoDaddy yeah. and WordPress for 15 years and very happy with it. No big problems. GoDaddy has been great with, uh, with customer service with me, and uh, I see no, basically they haven't done anything to upset me. So I really haven't tried anything else. <laughs> yeah. I, well, that's what I'm looking at doing is going back to, to WordPress. I used to be a WordPress guy. My company did a lot of WordPress sites. I just didn't do it for myself, but I'm, I'm looking at uh, the possibility of doing that. The, the, they've really have come a long ways and there's so many options. Like I'll run into a roadblock with, with Squarespace. Like, look, in my store, I sell um, these handmade sketchbooks that I make. Um, I sell used books. I was selling my art. Now think about that. That's three different products. It probably doesn't make a lot of sense to have those three, but that's what I wanted. And I would sell those things, but there's no flexibility with shipping options or, um, hmm. you know, sales tax. You've got to do all of that yourself. And I, and see, I'm a software, I was a software developer for 35 years. I subscribed to Alan Cooper's, uh, the inmates are running the, the asylum, Steve Krug, don't make me think. Uh, Alan Cooper would say the computer is supposed to do the hard stuff. And this is what I demanded out of my team uh, is, is because a lot of developers have a complete and utter disdain for the user. Uh, and it's just, it's just, I don't know. I don't know why that is. It's just that mindset is, well, if they're too dumb to use a computer, they shouldn't be on there. And I, I don't know how many people I fired over the years. <laughs> I, I remember these kinds of people. Yeah. Uh, I, I knew many of these kinds of people. But, and I'm I, sorry. I, I went down a, a rail. Tough, <laughs> yeah. Let's not rail on on software design. I love software We're designers. Pissed off I, Squarespace. I was one. Well, I, what I think happens, I, I think it's important for an artist to do it, and I like the idea of Squarespace. And they did do a lot of things right, um, but there's, yeah. but you do you will outgrow it very very quickly. But some of the things they do right um, that make it easy for artists, if that's what they want to use, I, I like their email integration. They got their email campaign integration right there. The mm -hmm. analytics built in right there. Uh, it is fairly simple to set up a simple e-commerce store. So if you sell one type of thing, it's great. And it's a great portfolio pro yeah. software. Like just if you, if that's all you want, just to literally just show what you make. It's lovely. Yeah. But say you and I are, we're, we're software guys or designers. So, we're going to view it a little differently. It's kind of like an artist that goes into a museum. We don't view the art 
really the same way that uh, someone off the street would view that art. Our experience is a little different, uh, even though we might, Absolutely. a filmmaker can't watch a movie <laughs> dispassionately, you know, they I, can't. I hate watching films with filmmakers. <laughs> you can't because they're going to sit there. Because they're yeah. always like, oh, the lighting <laughs> here and the sound of sound of the levels and the, uh, they they get too technical like so the, the, you know sometimes too much technical knowledge it hinders does. a pure appreciation and, and then what happens is you know uh, we cannot it makes it hard for us to be good marketers because we base our persona or who we're selling to on ourselves i'm not the guy that's buying my art i'm not the guy that was buying my software services uh, you know, there's a lot of things I'd have to fight in my mind. Well, I wouldn't do that, but no, 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 I'm not that person, you know? So you have to be empathetic about who, who's interested in what you have to offer uh, to them. And that's hard for us to do. It's really hard to separate yourself from that. Especially when it comes to making your own artworks oh, yeah. too, because I mean, you, you're, you're invested in it. You have an emotional attachment to it. It was an experience of your life, a time and exactly. energy. And then to try and, put a quantifiable value on it and, and sort of displace it from all that is very difficult to do. And, and I mean, that comes to, a, you know, another question that of course I ask almost everybody's like, so how do you come up with prices for selling your artwork? So because I'm in the very beginning stages, I, I price low. I, you know, I'm, I think a, a mistake beginning artists will do, they'll do a, a nine by 12 painting and try to sell it for $2,000. And that's just, it's just a mistake. Uh, no, that's yeah, ridiculous. it's just, it's no. absurd. I, uh, I did a show, uh, about two years ago it was the first one I did. So the way I've been doing this, I started, I talked to a lot of artists on my podcast and then I talked to them privately and, and they're very helpful. So one of the big suggestions I got was, you know, just start locally. Just, it's a slow process. You're not going to get instant gratification, but you will get a feeling of how people react to your art. You're not going to know until you put it out there and putting that on an Instagram feed is not the same as putting it in a, in a, in a cafe where people are sitting there eating a meal under your painting and they look at it and then decide, you know what? I want to buy that. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of a different experience. So I took that advice. So the very first thing I did, the first time I ever publicly showed my work is I, supported a local show here in Douglasville where I live. It was called the taste of Douglasville had nothing to do with art, had to do with food, hungry people with money. <laughs> and they wanted other vendors in there. I said, great, $75. I can do that. <laughs> so I brought everything. Right. Got a booth. Oh my goodness. Yep. And so I found out what people liked and what people would buy. Now that's a, that's an, that's not the same as a gallery. Don't get me wrong. It's not a, it's not a gallery situation. You know, you're not the pricing. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not going to be years bad. ago. I actually created a, a, an affordable art fair kind mm -hmm. of a thing, basically where uh, hundreds of artists could come and get a booth and everything that was for sale was under $100. Right. I mean, this was 15 years ago now, so it would be higher now. But, you know, a low priced by reputable artists. And then therefore it, the idea was to try and uh, start those careers going. The, uh, the idea is that uh, artists need the opportunity for somebody to buy a lesser 
Christ piece, let's say, so that they start appreciating your work and appreciating owning original artwork so that as they get older and they have more money and they have more space in their home, that their desire for original art and potentially even your original art be, grows with you kind of thing. So the the idea that a, an artist's career is, is a long-term mm -hmm. thing is very important I, for I artists. I think so. Yeah. It, I agree with you. And, and I, it's tough. Well, <laughs> you know, if you're going to be a, a concert violinist, it's going to take you some time to get there, right? <laughs> Even if you're going to be busking on the street with a guitar, you got to play good enough that somebody puts coins in your in, in your guitar case. It just takes time. Well, see, and the thing is, is that there are some people in the world that have that immediate stardom, that that young sort of, uh, we'll call it like YouTubers and Instagram, you know, influencers and things like this at this point, that basically get it very young and very quickly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they, and that's people that are in the arts need to understand that, like, the idea of an art career is not no. that. Uh, an art career will build slowly over time and it will be connections and expanding like the idea you were talking about of uh, starting locally and then those local people are going to start having friends that are somewhere else and they're going to talk to them and then then your your market is going to expand and all this kind of stuff like it just takes time and it's so true see so what what happened from that experience was uh, I got email addresses, so they they signed up on my email list. I think it's important to uh, create an email list, get permission from people to create an email list. Do you do that? Oh, yeah, do you do, I do. Like, it's, like, it's, it's, how often do you send out emails? I, probably people? about once a month, maybe twice a month, or every time I have a, a new episode of of the uh, podcast. So that might happen three times a month. It's about the frequency that I have, and. Um, it, yeah, it's and I get a lot of feedback because I encourage people to reply back. <laughs> so, yeah, you got a question, got feedback, and that gives me. Uh, I'm jumping ahead, but it gives me uh, additional content for my shows because uh, you know people will make a comment. People love. I, I read this story years ago about uh, newspaper. It was a newspaper somewhere in the Midwest, I think. And he, the the publisher was doing doing extremely well with uh, subscriptions. And the reason was, is he mentioned people's names uh, in the local community. Yeah. And I thought, I have found that that's been highly effective in building my podcast audience, both in the camera one, the photography one, and uh, Arvel Painter. People love to hear the names. And I like sharing uh -huh. the names. And uh, one of the things I <laughs> uh, try to encourage them to do, if, if they do send feedback, please include your link. I might share you. You know, I'll share your website. And... Uh, most people don't do that, but I get a few, and and sometimes sometimes they're they're pretty good, you know, and I and I'm happy to share them. I I can see where they you know they're they're beginning their journey too, along with me, and and uh, it's fun to share their names and and to get the feedback, and they're always so appreciative, and I and I love that. I love being able to give people something, and that's something I can give. I don't have to ask for any money or any. I just give it, and 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 there they go, and it just brings me a great deal of pleasure to see them. Uh, benefit in some small way uh, from that. But back to the first art fair that I did, I don't do those. <laughs> That's too much for an old. Yeah, there is a point yeah. where you have to grow yeah, out of them. But too. it was a grand experiment. And it was amazing because I got to talk to 
people. You know, they would come up to the booth. They may not buy something, but they'd look at something. You could watch them and say, okay, why are they? And after a while, if I could strike up a conversation, I said, what do you like about that? And they would tell me what they see and what they, this was this was fantastic insight because, you know, an artist. Market research. Well, you know, yeah, it is. <laughs> but you do want to know how, how is your art? I mean, as artists, we also, we try to raise ourselves above the business for a little bit. We want, there's the emotional side of it. And, and I wanted to get that kind of information as well. And it was just amazing to hear people's stories. Uh, I had this one guy, he came up. I had this painting. I had it priced for two hundred dollars. It wasn't much, in my opinion, but it wasn't. Uh, I, he was moved by the art. Let me put it that way. Okay, and that's always what we're right. looking for. And and it it surprised me because it was a piece that I didn't think would sell. I mean, I just I couldn't see why anybody. I but I took everything that I had that I could sell. And that was the surprising thing about this whole thing with what people bought were things that I did not think would sell. My, my wife, my wife teased me about one piece because there was a piece I had I absolutely hated, and she made me put it in the exhibit. And I want you to know that painting sold. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> it happens to me every time. Like I will have an exhibit, and there'll be these pieces that I love, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm so attached to this, and nobody exactly. Likes them. And then there'll be pieces that I'll put in there. I'm like, ah, you know, I've got some space. I'll just put in this piece of shit that I made just to fill up a wall. And everybody loves it. It's amazing. That piece. Yeah, I know. I, I feel you on that. It's just, it's, in, but it's, a, you got to go through that process. You'll never know until you do it. You got to show your work. You got to put your ego at the door. <laughs> Check, you know, just don't worry about your ego. It'll, it'll, it'll heal in time. Uh, but this guy that yeah. came up, he was looking at this painting and, I had a $200 price tag on there, which was really too high for art fair like that. But, you know, I, I figure, hey, let me, try, let, me just, let me see what I can do. I, and I could tell this guy was, he he just kept coming back and looking at it. His hands were um, calloused, had oil on them. And uh, I could tell, must be a mechanic or, you know, works with his hands. And I asked him what he did. And uh, indeed, that's what he was. He was a mechanic. And, um, uh, he's, I said, what is it about that painting you like? And he proceeds to tell me the story. You know, it just makes him happy. He just needs happiness. In it, and it just, it just makes him happy to look at it. And uh, he says, but I, he opens up his wallet. He's got $50 in his wallet. And that's all he's got. And I said, that's a deal. I gave it to him for $50. You know, sure. It made him happy, and it made me happy to see him happy. And I got fifty dollars. It covered. You know, that's you're not gonna you're not gonna make a living off of that, but it's a start. And and I was just really happy to see that happen. But what happened is one of the uh, member, the uh, chairman of the cultural arts center near where I live, she came by and she says, "Hey, would you mind doing an exhibit uh, for us?" And I said, sure. <laughs> and the paintings would be available for sale. And then there was the there was a local museum that does local history. And they said, well, they invited me to a juried show. And that's the first one I ever entered. And, and I just played there. And uh, doing those local shows was helpful. And I sold it, every single one of them. And the other thing is 
so my most recent invite uh, was to the Muth Booth Museum. They have a Booth Artist Guild, and it's a juried show. So it's the first formal. I, I mentioned the juried show before. It's juried, but it's not. Yeah, you know, it's local art. It's, and I'm not trying to put local art down. It's just not the same level as, as something like. There are levels. There, there are. They're truly. Sure, yeah. You know, when I started in art, I was in naive art. Okay, I, you know, it's okay, but I was there. We yeah, all were. exactly. Nothing wrong with it. I love Bob Ross, and I tried to paint like. <laughs> but I. But as I grew in taste, and I, I never did that. Uh, I guess it's. I have to confess everything I do. So, I, yeah, I did do the Bob Ross thing. And and it was. No, I never did it. No, but I was a photographer. <laughs> well, I, was, I was not a painter. I, well, I so. was too. But, you know, I wanted to learn how to paint. And that's what I saw. I said, well, I like the way you talk too. But it wasn't the way I wanted to paint. See, I'd go to the museums and things like that and the books. And I realized, no, 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 this is, this is, this is a formulaic style of painting. People like it. It makes them happy. And I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But it wasn't what I wanted to do. Bob Ross is not Thomas Moran or, or, or Cole or Beardstadt or, uh, you know, your contemporary artists. Uh, th th it's not the same thing. And that's what I wanted to do. No. And so, but it was a step in my, my journey of learning. But now I've, I've been invited to a juried show. It's my first one. Uh, will it, what will it turn into? I do not know. Um, but it's exciting it's exciting. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Of course, this um, thing that we don't like to talk about that's happening right now, it's kind of put a damper on things, you uh -huh. know, but I'm, I'm proceeding as if, okay, maybe it will happen and we'll see what happens. Yeah. But the podcast too has been good because it's connected me with people as well. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is like, so what, what are some of the things that you've gained that you couldn't have gained otherwise through the act of being a podcaster about photography and the art world? Well, it's being part of a community of people that I normally wouldn't have access to. Uh, uh, they're friends. They've become friends. They contact me, uh, call me. It's, it's amazing to be called by somebody and, hey, Carl, check this out. <laughs> <laughs> and and so there's that com camaraderie and it goes back to what I was talking about before is it is all in who you know and when they become your friends and you're a genuine friend to them it it can lead to future op opportunities I'm very early in my career um uh, I haven't I'm not represented in a gallery yet uh, or something like that but uh, we'll we'll see where it goes you got to start somewhere and you got to be positive about it you do Indeed. Yes. I hope that's been helpful. I'm, I'm not as far along as a lot of these guys are. I, I have a, I don't know, probably a long career at this point to many people. Like, I mean, I started making art back in 2000, sort of mm -hmm. professionally. So, I mean, I have about 20 years. But in that, I made a series of what I would call sort of strategic mistakes, which was that I, I kept uh, moving. I kept leaving and, and going somewhere new. So over the course of that time, I moved from San Francisco to North Carolina to Ohio to Abu Dhabi to Prague. And so I kept leaving. And part of it is is that people and, and when you do large moves like that, it's very difficult to keep in touch and keep uh, good relations, strong relationships with people in order to build your career. And like one of the things that I feel that I've learned is that part of being an, a creative person is you need to build your networks 
And part of that is just sort of, not that you have to stay in one place, but maybe have a place that's your home base that you can sort of come back to that becomes your foundation for your network that grows out. And I made that mistake by moving too much and not staying in touch with enough people and creating those bigger, broader networks that are necessary. But look what you're doing. Matt, you're, 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 you're connecting. I mean, who would have dreamed two weeks ago that you and I would be talking? I didn't even know you. And, and now I know you, you've got a great podcast. Uh, uh, it's, it's, this is incredible that you and I can talk. You're in Prague and here I am in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And, and see, that's the same with me. I'm not in a place that's typically known as an art market. There's people here that appreciate art. Oh, there's a lot of good art yeah. in, in Atlanta, actually. Yeah. And Athens oh, yeah. also is yeah. a very good, well-known art place. But it's so, not. It's not. Yeah. It's not New York. It's not California. You know, it's it's not uh, Sedona. It's not any Santa Fe. It's not on that level. But still, I have connections with artists all over the United States as a result of doing what you're doing. And I think you've got that. Well, that's, too. and that's one of the things. Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I've started to learn also is that I, I feel like basically people have this idea that where you live should be your market. No. So like you're a painter, you paint in Atlanta and, and people would think that you sell in Atlanta, but like, and I live in Prague and, and people would think that people would buy my work and exhibit in Prague. And that's absolutely not true. Like oftentimes your best market is not where you yeah. live. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. Uh, and you know, you could, if I lived in the coast of Florida, it's true that, you know, tourists that go there, they want to, the type of paintings will probably reflect their vacation experience. I get that. Um, I've talked to an artist not too long ago on my podcast. His name is, um, Bill Farnsworth and he lives in Florida. So naturally his, his type of coastal scenes appeal to uh, people who who go to Florida, uh, and of course, Florida has a robust uh, art market. You do; it's helpful to sell what they Miami. like. Miami, yeah, yeah, yeah. Miami, <laughs> uh, definitely. Oh, they got Basel. Oh, of course. Yeah, a a friend of mine just went. There. He 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 lives in the beautiful island of um, uh, Samos, Greece, and uh, but he. He commutes from Samos, him and his wife, to uh, Florida. They teach. They have an art classes in in uh, Tampa, and then they exhibit his work. He, he's a he's a contemporary artist. He, he exhibits his work at Basel as well, and gets sells. I mean, it, it appeals. You go to where you know people are going to buy it, and that's in his type of art. It, it sells in a place like that. It's beneficial to go, even though it's kind of expensive to go. Yeah, art fairs are not mm -hmm. cheap to participate no. in. Like they're quite expensive. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not at that level. I don't. It's not. Not where. It's not in my wheelhouse at this point. I I have no interest in participating as an artist. I will go if the if a gallery wants to take me and they want to pay. There for you go. I'm happy to go. <laughs> I'm not doing it myself. They're in their keep, right? <laughs> Well, and there's a certain amount of prestige that comes with like a gallery yeah. bringing you to a, an art fair versus you doing it yourself. Like there's a, just a little difference. But I think in time it will change though. Because I mean, think about how artists are selling today. A lot of artists are selling exclusively online or they're, they have their own galleries. Um, I, it's, are they selling online? Though? Some, some I mean, are. Cause I hear mm -hmm. mixed. Some, 
I hear mixed things about like online sales. You know, I hear stuff from Artsy and Artnet and all those places always telling me, oh, online sales are going through the roof, millions of dollars a year. And and then I actually go talk to artists and they're like, no, I haven't sold a thing online. <laughs> yeah, I I imagine that's true. But I do know that there are artists that are they're they're doing okay. And they use they all they who are these people? Yeah, wouldn't you like who to are know they? That? Where are they? What do they sell? I don't yeah. understand this. Well, see, look at how it's selling here in the United States. So this is how the market was working before the big P word. Okay. So a lot of new artists and, and existing artists, what they did is uh, plein air painting became this huge thing here. It almost became like a social club of some sort, but people enjoy them. And, and guess what? They buy art. It's, you know, it, it became a big thing. I, I know uh, several of the guests that I've had, that's, they make a significant amount of their income from doing the planner events. I don't know that yeah. I could sustain that lifestyle. I, it doesn't appeal to me to be on the road all the time doing that sort of thing, but that's one of the ways that they sell. Of course, they've all been decimated. Uh, our uh, Olmstead just announced that they, they're having to not do their event, um, the uh, plant, the, the big plein air event that Eric Rhodes does uh, in Denver is rescheduled and, and being moved to a different location. So a lot of these events are Everything's hurting people right now. But that, that was one primary way that uh, people do sell is through that. Another way that artists sell I learned this from the workshops. It was the most amazing thing I ever saw. I, it was a complete and total surprise. Matt Smith bought, brought several of his little nine by twelves paintings. Hmm. He sold virtually every one of them. Nine by 12 inches, by the way, because a lot of, ah, that's right. The United so States is so behind that. when it comes to the metric system. That's it's okay. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> I wish we were metric too. It'd be so much easier, but it, because I'm sitting there, I'm like nine by 12 centimeters. It's really that's tidy. So small. <laughs> I got it. No, nine by 12 inches. I'm sorry. It. I'm fine. sorry for my, uh, I should have, you see what happens. It's like okay. I, if I were to tell you it's it's going to be a high of 87 today, that would just be everybody would be melting in Prague, right? <sighs> yeah, I have no idea what that means anymore. <laughs> I can't do the conversions. I mean, because I, I, as I said, I was living in the Middle yeah. East and stuff, so I've been I've been living in centimeter or centigrade for almost 10 years now. So like, I don't even understand the translations anymore. Oh. I know 87 is lovely though. It's, it's, it's too hot for me for here. It's at this time no, it's of year. Okay. It's, it's, okay. not, it's not right. <laughs> it does seem a bit warm for this time of year. It's though. just not right. Yeah. But anyway, we take what we get because we have no control over it. And so, yeah, I forgot where I was. Go uh, so the planner is one way. Uh, I do know um, a friend of mine. Uh, he has a gallery in Noonan. Um, uh, a lot of the paintings, are sold in that gallery, um, and you know it. They'll develop a network of collectors, so the collectors will oftentimes buy, uh, do repeat sales. I it was interesting. I I, I visited a, a woman that's in in that area, and she is a great art collector. And it's just it's amazing who you never know who collects. And <laughs> oh, I knew this yeah. lady in Ohio, in very very rural Ohio, like middle of nowhere. And I went into her house one day. She was like, oh, I've got this like little art collection of stuff. You should come see my art. And I'm like, oh, sure. Yeah. Not? Okay, whatever. And so I go over to her house. 
Her house is literally covered from floor to ceiling. Every drawer, every shelf, every everything Amazing. has a piece of art that she has collected over 40 oh, years. Wow. I mean, none of it was very expensive pieces individually, but then when you see the sheer volume of work, I mean, it's kind of like she was an art hoarder. Like, I mean, it was literally everywhere in the house. And it, some of it was absolutely magnificent. Not all of it, but the sheer volume of it was just overwhelming. I loved it. I thought it was quite fascinating. Well, I, I talked to uh, a pastelis, pastel artist. Um, uh, her name is Victoria Taylor Gore. She's uh, she was a uh, she was a professor for many years and still teaches. Uh, she was a dean at her college and for the liberal arts and. She had great success with, with the galleries up until the time that the podcast was published. I don't know how it's doing right now. I was contacted by one of her collectors. They heard her episode and they were just floored. They said, wow, because yeah, she's a relatively unknown artist, uh, but uh, they loved her. They, they, they sent me this email. They bought all these pieces and, <laughs> and then they tell me about these other people that they buy. So you just... I, you have to work hard to make those kind of connections. You're going to find your raving fans somewhere. And, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's a measure of success. This is not an easy business. I will never make the money. I don't think that I ever made as a software developer. I didn't enter getting into art for the sole purpose of making money. I'd like for it to pay for itself. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a reward. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Somebody, liked my art enough that they wanted to buy, to buy it. Yeah. That's the greatest thing for me. I, I always say the, the, the thing, the, I, you know, great accolades, mm -hmm. nice reviews, you know, whatever, all these, they're all fine and good. And I like those. I mean, we all like those. They help our egos. But the best thing anybody can do is literally buy your art, basically, and say, I want this art to be in my life. Exactly. That's a really fabulous feel they're going to have a relationship with it. it's going to hang on your wall you know it's mm -hmm. it's great uh, it's going to become part of their house part of their their children's lives their you know grandchildren's lives like i mean i grew up with like really you know interesting art around me and so like there are all these great pieces now that my parents had collected over the years that i'm now like i have this incredible fondness towards these pieces of art oh wow that's quite a legacy so, yeah it's yeah. nice See, growing up, I was dirt poor. I was in a very uh, blue-collar family that had no money. I didn't know it at the time. I, you know, you just—it's kind of like the frog in the. We were, we were <laughs> I not, was just—we were not wealthy. <laughs> well, I'm not. I wasn't trying father, to put you down like that, yeah. but it, no, no, no. My father's a minister. Yeah. Like we did not have a lot of money. Yeah. But they, but they appreciated. But see, art. we didn't have that in my house. There was just where I was going with that is we didn't have it, and so it's even a wonder that I that I got interested in it. Because I think a lot of the things that you uh, you experience in your childhood does have a bearing on how your appreciation for these things grow. And and I admit, you know, growing up, and I look back at my teenage years, a lot of naivety, um, a lot of things I just didn't know or didn't know that I'd even be interested in. So, no, and, and I hope no one takes it. I wasn't trying to to imply that if you if you weren't in poverty, you're you're subhuman that's not it at all 
Not at no, all. I, didn't say it like that. I just wanted to yeah, clarify, no. like, because I made it sound kind of snobby, like, oh, I went around, I, I grew up around. Fine okay, Lord. we we've no, we've no, no. we've had a little equilibrium there. We got it, got it yeah, no. lined up. That's good. Yeah, yeah, I am not that much of a snob. No, I promise. I know that. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit of a snob. I am. I am a bit of a fine art snob. Yeah. I will admit it, but that's that's my own issue. <laughs> it's a fun one to have, isn't it? Uh, some people love it. Some people don't, you know, it just depends. People in the art world generally appreciate it and they, and they respect it. People outside of the art world just think I'm uh, a snob. <laughs> well, I got, I got feedback for someone one time. Uh, they said, uh, they were talking about my guests. They really liked some of the guests, but there was a couple of them they didn't like. And, uh, I, I thought, well, they, they didn't like their opinions about something. And I just said, well, Here's here's the way I look at it. We're all just as opinionated as anybody else in human society. And I like hearing those opinions. And I think they have something good to offer. If you don't like what they say, it's okay. You don't have to do it. <laughs> you know? But I'm not going to start discriminating my guests based on whether or not you think they're, you know, opinionated or not. I, you know, people who have strong opinions a lot of times have they put a lot of thought into why they feel the way they do. I'm not saying that they're always right. Uh, and see, that's my opinion if they're <laughs> right or not. But I, I've, I've taken, um, I've, I've had friends who are artists who absolutely hate abstract art and modern art. They absolutely hate it. And uh, they, they're, they're not shy about showing their prejudice against it. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean they're bad artists. I love their art. I happen to like contemporary art. I happen to like modern art. I like abstract art as much as I do the representational art. So, you know, there's a place for it, but people have strong opinions and artists do too. And, you know, I can only control what I do and what I think, and I'm not going to change anyone's minds. If someone wants to know my opinion on something, I'm happy to share it. Uh, but I can only control myself. I can only control the way I think. Uh, sometimes I, I do tend toward, you know, negativity in my own thoughts. And and uh, I really work hard to root those things out. I think people can change. Uh, I've heard the expression used a lot of times, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I always say, well, we're not dogs. <laughs> we're humans. <laughs> we can learn things if we want to. We can change behavior. We can change the way we view people. One of the things I credit my father with is... Um, I had a man come up to me a couple of years ago and he was very agitated and he looked at me and he says, what did your father teach you? So bear in mind, here I am a white guy and it was a black man that came up to me and, um, and it, it, it unsettled me when he did that because people really truly have gone through horrible things uh, with uh, prejudice and racism and that sort of thing. And, and I said, Oh gosh, I, how am I going to answer this? But I, I did, I, you know what I did is I, I turned to a Bible verse that my father used. Was it Philippians chapter two, verse three and four? It says, consider others superior to yourself. And so that's what I told him. I said, I thank you for asking me. No one's ever asked me this question before. And I read that to him and he says, do you really believe that about me? And I said, yes, that's what my dad taught me. And uh, we went on to have a nice conversation, but all I can do is change the way I feel and the way I view other people. 
I can talk about it until I'm blue in the face. It's not going to, I, I can't change other people, but I can change how I view people. And that's what I've, I've endeavored to do uh, in my adult life, however imperfectly that is. I don't know if that had anything to do with art or, or what. <laughs> this is the beauty of it's the beauty know. of being it's an a, old guy. You know, you get to <laughs> just ramble do, on. Just cool. I tell Fine. my kids, I'm at that age where I can tell the same story over and over every day and never get bored. You might, but I don't. So there. That's right, because you don't remember it. I know. Yeah. Yeah, my my mother's at the same point in her life. Yes, you love her anyway, uh, though. Right? Okay, okay. Uh, she's very entertaining in her forgetfulness. It's it's very interesting. Yes, we get to have the same conversation every day. It's lovely. All right. Well, thank you very much for your it's time. Been my pleasure. I really appreciate you asking. I appreciate what you're doing. This is having a podcast like this. Uh, we need we need more of them, and your voice is a is a valuable part of that. Thank you all for your support of the Wise Fool Patreon account. If you've not become part of our network, by becoming a supporter, you receive the opportunity to help in the choosing of upcoming guests, cities that I should visit, and also you can give me questions that you would like me to ask future guests. You can find us and support us at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the wise fool, all one word. If you enjoy the podcast, I would appreciate a five-star rating, and please tell your friends to listen and subscribe also. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of my many weaknesses that has become glaringly obvious to me through my insights from my guests is that my lack of professionalism in the business practices when it comes to my personal artwork. So I've become putting my work on sale on SachiArt.com. You can find my artwork available for purchase at SachiArt, S-A-A-T-C-H-I-A-R-T.com slash Matthew Doles, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-D-O-L-S. Thank you. Thank you.